The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and today we're going to help discover food truth with Dr. Fred Vamsal. Dr. Vamsal is the Curator's Professor of Biological Science at the University of Missouri in Columbia. His research has focused on BPA and other endocrine-disrupting chemicals in our environment. For his research, he was given the Heinz Award in the fall of 2010. With an endocrinology background, he is best able to look at these different compounds in our environment and talk to us about how they affect our endocrine system. So, Dr. Vamsal, welcome. It's a pleasure to talk with you, Melinda. I want to know a little bit about how you first became interested in the compound BPA or bisphenol. Well, we had evidence from the 1930s that bisphenol A was a synthetic man-made estrogenic drug-like compound that in the 1930s was considered for use as a fertility drug. And in the 1950s, chemists not understanding anything about endocrinology or hormones found out they could link these molecules together. It's called polymerization, and it would make a hard, clear plastic. So without actually thinking about the consequences of this, people started making baby bottles out of a sex hormone and other kinds of plastic, and the plastic is called polycarbonate, which is just chains of bisphenol A molecules that unfortunately under heat or somewhat acidic conditions break out of the plastic very easily. It's a very unstable plastic. It looks like glass, but it actually is not a stable material. And it releases this sex hormone into anything it comes in contact with. And we just stumbled into this because we knew it was an estrogen and that's I study estrogenic drugs and chemicals, and we tested it in mice and at a dose 25,000 times below what the chemical industries were saying should cause no effect, we found it damaged the entire developing reproductive system. And we have very clear evidence that the mouse reproductive system and the human reproductive system are equally sensitive to estrogenic drugs and chemicals. And so it sent shockwaves through the chemical industry that we had an effect at levels that were clearly what humans were being exposed to. Hmm. And your lab was the first to show the effect of bisphenol in animals, is that correct? Yes. 
So at these very low doses, there had been a prior study done at looking at what is called acute toxicity. In, in other words, how does, if you take bisphenol A, does it kill you? And sex hormones are not acutely toxic. And so it, if you just look, you know, what does this chemical kill you? The answer is no. Can it severely harm particularly a developing baby in terms of dramatically reducing sperm production in the testes, leading to prostate cancer later in life, breast cancer later in life? All of these have been found. Obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, ADHD. All of these are not only implicated based on animal studies, but now based on human studies. Hmm. There are over 40 studies published of effects of BPA in people covering all of the things I just mentioned. And I believe I found an article in which you were quoted saying that 90% of the population has BPA in their bloodstream. Well, actually, and that was based on measurement being excreted from the blood into urine. And those data were from the United States National Health Survey conducted by the Centers for Disease Control. And since then, there have been studies conducted on people all over the world that those same levels of exposure, I mean, it's just virtually everybody is exposed to this chemical because there are 10 billion, with a B, pounds of it made a year and put into products. And where we find it is largely plastic food containers or water containers, certain kinds of plastic containers, and also in the linings of cans. Is that correct? Yes, and we're now just sending out for publication a study where we know that the coating on thermal receipt paper oh, right. is the coating of this paper is free bisphenol A and when you touch that paper and then we had people pick up food and eat it, you get a massive spike of bisphenol A and you think how many restaurants, the people cooking food in the restaurant in the fast food restaurant, are actually handling thermal paper. Yeah. And it's like talcum powder on the surface of the paper. It comes off onto your hand, and then anything you touch with your hand, just think of having invisible, odorless, tasteless talcum powder on your hand that spreads onto anything you touch. So receipt paper is a massive source of exposure to this chemical. Hmm. I go to the American Dietetic Association meetings yearly, and there are representatives there from the Grocery Manufacturers Association, the, the canned food marketers, the International Food Information Council. And the messages that we largely receive are that bisphenol it's such a small amount that we're exposed to that we really don't need to be worried about it. That's one of the messages we get. And the other message we get is that, well, those studies showing harm are disputable. So 
I think the average person realizes that the tobacco industry for decades knew clearly cigarettes caused cancer and secondhand smoke was exceedingly dangerous and they lied to everybody about it, including under oath in Congress. And that's not disputable anymore. And so what the chemical industry did when the tobacco industry crashed and burned in terms of it getting away with lying, all of the product protection firms that were protecting the tobacco industry, exactly those same firms, one of the main ones being called the Weinberg Group, was hired by the American Chemistry Council, the lobbying arm of the chemical industry, to use exactly the same strategies that it had used for decades to protect the tobacco industry. And that is you go out and you commission studies that are designed by lawyers and public relations people and very clever scientists who know exactly how to manipulate an experiment to find nothing. And these are experiments in the tobacco documents that are online. And the current head of OSHA, Occupational Health and Safety Administration, David Michaels, wrote a book, Doubt is Their Product. And a tobacco industry product protection firm lawyer wrote, our job is to create science that creates doubt about the real science being done by scientists. Hmm. And they have commissioned 15 studies, spent millions of dollars, and 100% of industry studies claim BPA is safe. And almost like 98% of over 300 government-funded studies conducted by independent scientists show BPA to cause just a staggering array of damage, not only in animals, but in people. So they are right. There is a small set of studies funded by the chemical industry that were created to be able to go into court and say there is a set of studies that dispute the harm of bisphenol A. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, <laughs> we, we created those studies, but they exist. They, they aren't lying about that. It's important for... I think consumers and health professionals to really scratch the surface of those headlines. And one of the reasons why I wanted you to be my guest early in the year is because of a news release that came out on Eureka Alert. It was put out early in January, and the headline was, Previous Studies on Toxic Effects of BPA Couldn't Be Reproduced. And just that headline alone has been cast about to cast doubt on your decades-long research on this compound, and I think it's highly unfair. Well, also, the study that they're talking about was a very detailed 
molecular look at a specific gene that was spliced into a mouse, and it had nothing to do with any research that I have ever done. It's just a technical study that is very difficult to do and difficult to replicate, and it really has nothing to do with the health effects of BPA. It has to do with BPA's interaction with a particular gene in a mouse that is actually not even a normal mouse gene. <laughs> so that there's a little bit of controversy about whether BPA interacts with this particular gene or not has nothing to do with the fact that it's been related to attention deficit aggression and hyperactivity disorder in children mm -hmm. and obesity in children and diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and a whole bunch of problems in both adult men and women as well as detailed animal studies relating it to obesity and diabetes and cardiovascular disease in animals. So if you think about that, and we're talking about hundreds of government-funded studies, it's bizarre that a really arcane gene study would be used to say, oh, all of those other studies don't matter anymore because there's controversy over its interaction with a particular gene in the mouse. Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of misrepresentation of the weight of evidence, the total amount of evidence out there, is how industry continues to create doubt. Unfortunately for them, while that works in the United States, the Europeans are actively, aggressively moving to remove BPA from all food contact and baby contact items. And the French have just taken the lead on this. It has to be out of all baby products. Any product for a child under 14 is banned by next year in France and it's out of all food contact items by 2015. That's wonderful news for public health. I just want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Dr. Fred Vomsall. He is the Curator's Professor of Biology at the University of Missouri in Columbia, and he is best known for his work involving bisphenol, or BPA, and was the recipient in 2010 of the prestigious Heinz Award for his work that really helps us challenge this traditional thinking in toxicology that the dose makes the poison. And, and that's the next topic that I want to talk to you about because I think it's really difficult for us to get our arms around this idea that something that is in such minuscule amounts, a trillionth of a gram, could, could cause some sort of biological effect. How do we explain to people that 
the dose makes the poison sounds good, but it really doesn't hold weight anymore in many instances. And, and I think the last thing is what you said is very important. For some chemicals that are poisons, the dose makes the poison is true. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, if you take something like alcohol, you can take a little and it's okay. And if you take a lot, it'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Okay. A hormone is a molecule produced in your body that binds to a protein so in the cell or on the cell. And then think of it as a system that evolved to have you standing in the Hollywood Bowl and you could whisper and it created the noise level of an atomic bomb because the cell is evolved to take a single molecule binding to a hormone receptor and have a series of a whole series of amplifiers that by the time the cell reaches the response point it's a hundred million fold increased in potency so the endocrine system is tuned to respond to part per trillion between a part per trillion to a part per billion levels of hormones and cause huge physiological changes in a person's body. It's what controls the whole way your body functions is these series of hormones circulating in our body. And BPA is an estrogen and estrogens happen to be, of all the hormone systems in the body, the most potent and operate at the lowest concentrations. And the second part of it is, while very small concentrations trigger very big responses, if you get exposed to too much hormone, it's a self-regulating system that shuts down the production of the receptor protein that allows the response and the cell no longer responds to the hormone. And every endocrinology book has a whole section on what is called down-regulation or self-inhibition of response. And it's just a part of the way our bodies evolved to not respond to too much of something. And doctors use that clinically. If you have prostate cancer, they give you a hormone and tell you, as the level of this hormone in your body goes up, you are going to experience an increase in pain associated with your cancer. And then when it gets to a high dose, it'll shut off the system and act as a therapeutic drug to block your prostate cancer. And the same is true of the anti-cancer drug for breast cancer, tamoxifen. At low doses, it stimulates your breast cancer But 
you go through a period of what is called flare and pain where it's stimulating and then at its high therapeutic dose, it blocks the breast cancer. It blocks hormones. So this isn't uh, some kind of crazy new idea. This is clinical endocrinology. This is cancer therapy. It's just never been applied to an environmental chemical. Mm-hmm. Well, the food system and the food manufacturers, more specifically, have tried to respond to some extent to consumer awareness. And I want to thank you for largely contributing to that consumer awareness. I believe years ago you were uh, there was an article in a popular magazine in which you were talking about cans of tomato products and how you yourself would not eat them because of the bisphenol issue. So food manufacturers are trying to respond with substitute compounds. And one of the things that they say is, well, yes, we're trying to come up with different linings for cans, etc., but uh, we don't know about their safety either. Well, the Japanese in the late 1990s took the material polyethylene terephthalate, PET, that uh, bottles of water and other things are made out of, soda bottles, not cans, but the bottles, these soft plastic bottles, and they used that as the lining of the can. And that was done almost 15 years ago. And the American can manufacturers claim there's no alternative lining, which is blatantly dishonest because the Japanese did it long ago. The second thing the can manufacturers aren't telling you is that light fruit cans are not lined with BPA. And the reason is the tin lining interacts with the fruit and blocks it from discoloring after the can is opening. And at a very funny response to me at a meeting, the NAMPA, the National Metal Packaging Association representative, when I confronted him in public after saying there's no alternative, we have to have BPA lining cans, I said, well, they don't line fruit cans. He stopped and he said, oh, you know that, dear. Um, I said, why not? He said, well, people like the taste of metal in their fruit, but not in other products. And, of course, the place burst out into laughter. And there is actually a reason for that. The point is that you don't have to have BPA lining cans. And there are safer alternatives, such as polyethylene terephthalate, or in the case of fruit cans, no lining at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And we are told that the can manufacturers have alternatives all lined up. They reason the French government banned this in all food products is they know the replacements are there. It would make no sense for any regulatory agency to ban something such as the use of cans if there were an absolute certainty that alternatives existed already. They would never do that. And so the American can manufacturers are 
just doing what the tobacco industry did. They're trying to frighten the American public into thinking if this product is banned, you will not have canned food. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's crazy. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful website that the, the Breast Cancer Fund has developed for consumers to see which canned foods are most likely to contain the highest levels of BPA. And at the top of the list is actually coconut milk followed by soup. And I love some of the brands that are targeting young women, for example, some of these soup products. And I think, wow, you're not telling the full story here. We need to get BPA. And consumers need to be vocal, I think, with regard to calling consumer lines and using their food dollars as a way to boycott products that have not changed to BPA-free. So I'm, I'm a big believer in consumer advocacy. I have to ask you about one topic, and that is I remember decades ago we had spoken and you said to me, we're going to really be in trouble if BPA gets in the water. And then you said, and it's in the water. Well, We have sampled BPA in all the streams and the Missouri River. Actually, with the data we got, the U.S. Geological Survey labs estimated that about 19,000 pounds of BPA flows by Columbia and the Missouri River every year. And so it's coming out of landfill. People throw plastic into the river And again, this degrades slowly but constantly. And it is getting everywhere in our environment. And it isn't tested for by any water district. So it's not something that shows up. And one of the problems is, even if they tested for it, our water treatment systems don't remove it. Dr. Von Saal, I am going to have to let you know that we have one minute left in our conversation. I knew it would fly. Do you have a website that you would like our listeners to go to for more information? Yes, I would say in terms of products that contain bisphenol A and other potentially hazardous things that leach out of products, the Environmental Working Group org ewg.org is an excellent site and, and the other site that has excellent information about not only BPA but every aspect of endocrine disruption is environmental health news one word dot org or ehn.org either one will get you to a honest accurate website be very careful of industry websites that tell you all of these chemicals are safe and they're written by lawyers, not scientists. The EWG and EHN sites are written by independent scientists. That's where that information comes from. 
Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today and for sharing that critical information about where to go for more information. Listeners, we've been speaking with Dr. Fred Vomsall. He is the Curator's Professor of Biology at the University of Missouri in Columbia. In 2010, he was given the prestigious Heinz Award for his work looking at toxic exposures to common chemicals in everyday products, specifically BPA. I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemelgar in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and I especially want to thank you, Dr. Von Saul, for your tireless advocacy and research in this area. Well, and thank you for your efforts too, Melinda. It's been a pleasure talking with you. you.